Hey, what is up? Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I hope you're doing all right today. Today we have on super, super, super special guest. Um, his name is Luis, and he also has a brother named Luis. But he's Luis Daniel. Daniel is his middle name. His brother is Luis Alfonso, and they uh, pair together on the Content is Profit podcast. Um, on their podcast, essentially what they talk about is how you can use content to essentially influence and indoctrinate an audience and more easily facilitate a sale, right? So Luis, both of them are wizards when it comes to literally using content to change people's minds and therefore change their behaviors. Um, Complete experts on the subject matter. And if you wanna be blown away in regards to some of that stuff, go and listen to their podcast, Content is Profit. But here on today's interview, and I wanna say, man, thank you, so much for the both of them um for actually you know agreeing to this interview but um because i in my opinion for a long time this will probably be the most emotional interview i've i've ever done in my life you know this is was this is one of my favorite interviews ever and it, it, it probably will be that way for a long time um super emotional super special and the reason i say that is um luis uh daniel who we interviewed on this podcast uh, as well as his brother, who, who we didn't interview, if I wasn't clear with that before, um, they grew up in Venezuela, right? And within this podcast, he, he's he's even been kidnapped before. In this podcast episode, what he does is he breaks down what it was like to grow up in Venezuela and the turning point to which he saw um, the beginning of uh, his home country's descent, if that's what you want to call it. I know for some people it's an ascent, but um, I think from his perspective, it might have been... Uh, more so troubling times than than great times you know again it depends on you ask but i'm not here to really debate that um but not only does he demonstrate you know he he you know describes his 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 upcoming in venezuela in in you know from a human's perspective but he breaks it down because this is what he does from a perspective of a, a marketing perspective really how is it that content was used within the country which is what this podcast is about in order to influence people's ideas and behaviors and facilitate an outcome uh that affected the social political and economic uh playing field uh, it, man it is an amazing episode an amazing interview and an amazing breakdown he also goes into the minor details well, not minor these are major details rather but um uh, I guess periphery details of his life, such as growing up um, as a soccer player um, and wanting to be a professional soccer player first and foremost in his life, and having that be his um, his line, the tangent in which he used to gain a scholarship and eventually move to the U.S. And now he has a business that probably does more in you know a year than people do in a lifetime, like eighty thousand per year contracts more than on one contract more than most human beings make in the entire year um to being an exemplary businessman and a business owner um starting from a small social media marketing company that served restaurants it, it it's an amazing story man he's going to dissect everything and how countries become the way they do um it, it's, it's a beautiful story so without further ado the podcast episode speaks for itself so i want you to go listen to the podcast episode. thank you both for coming in uh, and doing this interview. Um, and if y'all want to learn more about them and their story, go to Content is Profit. He's a wizard at what he does. I, I mean that with every fiber of my being. So 
content is profit. Everything will be down in the description below. You can follow them on social media. Um, here's the interview. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So what is up, everyone? And welcome back to the Surviving and Cancel podcast, the podcast that's all about finding your voice, refining your message, building a tribe, in uh, promoting into the world, even your most unpopular opinions in the cancel culture era. Today we have on Luis Daniel, who's part of a pair with his brother, Luis Alfonso, and they run the Content is Profit podcast in business. They've been doing this, um, as he has said, for six years and, uh, you know, connected with some of the, been to some of the biggest events and have connected and interviewed with some of the biggest names in the industry. The guys that I talk about on this podcast a lot, and look up to, you know, from Russell, you know, Steve Larson, you know, even, even, even Josh Forty, <laughs> you know, man, um, <laughs> I'm just laughing because he be tweaking, but anyhow, um, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, thank you so much, man, for, for having me. And, uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to share the message as always. I appreciate providing the platform and I command you, man, for, for sharing also your message and having these conversations. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, man, without a doubt. You know, I appreciate it. Um, So to go, you know, back to the beginning, you know, because we're going to touch on one, even even things that don't have to do with marketing because the person is more valuable yeah. than 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 the tools, I think. Uh, so we're going to go to soccer and everything. But to go back to the beginning, what was it like growing up in Venezuela? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we that's a, that's a time that I look back and and I appreciate a ton. Yeah. Today, yeah. Venezuela is a very different country to the one that I, I grew up in. Um, we were lucky that we we never uh, we were living in a middle class family, right? We were lucky to have a, a great education. We food was never an issue, right? At the house, it's not. We we didn't have a, a tragic like uprising, like you know yeah. <laughs> some entrepreneurs yeah. share. And uh, we we're very lucky that you know our mom had a, a a great university job. You know, our dad is an engineer and. And uh, they provided right opportunities, right, and that's the the, the mm -hmm. first thing, right. Mm -hmm. As a country, Venezuela is a beautiful country, full of resources, beautiful people, not just yeah. physically but yeah. like mentally. People are always happy, right. And uh, unfortunately, um, in in year two thousand, there was a shift of power, and it started shifting into uh, what it is now a dictatorship, right, it, a, a socialist dictatorship, and it's it, it's horrible mm -hmm. because I was I was in the middle of, of all that as we were growing up, right? I was born in 89. Yeah. So when this happened, I was 10. And I was really aware of things that were happening. And we saw the decay of the country. And that led to searching for different opportunities overseas, which is, for some people, might be exciting. But at the same time, it's very sad because we always want to, you know, be part of that, uh, you know, giving back to, to our own country, to our own people. And unfortunately right now there's a ton of Venezuelans around scattered all around the world, all doing beautiful things, but yeah, not in yeah. our home country. Right. And that's, that to me is a little sad. Uh, not a little, it's like a loss, very sad. Uh, mm -hmm. But as far as like growing up, regular kids, you know, we, we went to school, soccer was our number one priority. We always, since I could remember the goal was to go play professional soccer. Um, then when I was 15 years old, I got the opportunity to go and play in Italy for a year on my own. So I, you know, I jumped on a plane, my dad and my mom, they were so supportive and they were like, yeah, go ahead. This is your dream. What we've been working on and, uh, got there on my own, did not know any Italian and somehow played and survived the entire year, <laughs> learned yeah. Italian, yeah. went to school. It was a uh, great, uh, 
learning and growing experience, right? Came back home for a break. When I was supposed to go back, they tell me, hey, your, your documents are not in line. We had no idea because we went through this agency that apparently they were not doing things correctly. And uh, I got the short stick. And so I couldn't go back to Italy. They denied my entrance. And that was to me at that time, I was 16. And it was like the end of the world, right? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, I was so close, so close to get to play professionally. And then a year later, I get an opportunity to go play in Spain. So I spent another year in Spain. And through that year, also a lot of growth, but also a, a, a change happened in me where um, I realized that the dream was there, but because of the scenarios and the environment that I was put in with different coaches and different situations that happened throughout that year, I decided that that's not what I wanted to do anymore. And uh, I came back when I was uh, 18, about to hit 19, back back home to Venezuela uh, to tell my dad that you know, we worked together towards this goal that I did not want to be a professional soccer player anymore. And that caused a lot of um, issues in the house, right? Like we, we didn't speak to each other for about six months. It was challenging in the same house because, you know, on his side of things, he was really angry. Ego came in the way on my side too. Ego came in the way and we didn't, we didn't speak to each other. Right. And, and it was a really challenging moment, but at the same time, we both grew and then after a couple of months, after those six months, we, we reestablished our relationship. Everything is good, incredible now, obviously. But that mm-hmm. led me to this path of what, what now? <laughs> what, what am I going to do now? And, um, and I had no idea. So I started going to college back in Venezuela. I did two, two years over there. I worked for companies. Uh, I, I worked those two years for Red Bull, for example. Never left soccer. I continued to play uh, in national tournaments out there because that was the, the thing, the skill that I had. And uh, when I was about to transition to my junior year in college, a lot of political situations started to happen where students were being chased, right? Because education in a country like that with that is social is, is a threat. So people thinking uh, or building companies or starting businesses and providing opportunities is the threat for the government. So we started being chased. Uh, I got a couple of stories if you want to go there, but you know, long story short, I decided that I needed to leave the country to chase those opportunities of, of providing, of creating more opportunities or of, of starting companies, right? And, uh, and in Venezuela, I did not see that future, unfortunately, like many others have left, right? So, um, you know, one episode is I personally got kidnapped. It was uh, ex- express kidnapping, like they call it over there. Um, you know, it's not often that we share that story, but... Um, the sad thing is if you ask any Venezuelan, they will probably know somebody that that happened to them or it happened to them. Like it was that common. So that was kind of like the, the dropped that, the, that caused everything to, to speed up the process. And then I used soccer as a tool to come to the States um, in a student visa and play for a D1 school here and uh, paid for all my studies and then move forward. Right. What's, what's next. So that's the, that's the fast version. There's a lot of, to unpacking those like, years but uh that is the fast version of you know my uprising i guess (laughs) yeah yeah for sure man that's man it it is a lot right there and um i think it's fitting for this podcast you know because this is a critical moment to really zoom in on some of the details of you know where you're from um and examine the bad but also the good the good memories so a series of memories but you know, and it's important for this podcast because, you know, 
I always say, man, you know, a lot of the things that I see unfolding in society is, you know, the witch hunt on innovation, the witch hunt on entrepreneurialism. Um, you know, for the sake of polarity, you know, I would go even as far as to say socialism is a cancel culture on uh, entrepreneurship. Um, don't know how accurate that is because I don't have the experience you have. But to kind of demonstrate the overarching idea of their forces out, you know, when you are a deserter of the status quo, they want to crush you into the shape of familiarity. Can you describe a series of memories that you recall from being young? You know, even, you know, the good memories, you know, like literal memories, like maybe, you know, um, um, you know, even if it's just a visual of Venezuela and the area and some of the fond memories that you have with your brother all the way up until the point where things began to unravel. Can you can you give us a series yeah. of memories? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like uh, many come to mind. Right. Like I remember uh, growing up, we we always made a because my mom was in a in a college environment. Right. They had summer vacation. So we, we always try to go somewhere. Uh, I'm from the capital. So we always try to travel inside the country but we took road trips right we, we just jumped on the car and and start and go explore these incredible areas of venezuela and i remember very vividly and this is a very fun moment where we were in this um beach area where there's little towns and you know it's it's very different than it is here like it's literally like huts and and there's people in, in like fishing towns and it's very very like raw right and then right next to those towns you see these massive buildings right that imagine miami kind of style right like that that yeah. not as big as miami but those style buildings right and obviously different uh classes like you know working class the fishermen right there next to the, maybe the business people that have resources to buy apartments like that. And you have these boats and, and the areas are beautiful. And what I remember was there was no, there's no hate between social classes. Like no matter what color you're in, no matter like what, how much money you had. I remember going to this little dining area and they had a bunch of domino tables set up. Right. And everybody from the buildings, from the town, they were all mixed in there drinking together, eating together, playing dominoes together. And I remember a vivid conversation where like the, this guy was somewhat of a president of a company and he was just sitting next to his two employees that ran fishing boats like in the town, right? And they were just sitting in the same table, having a drink, playing domino together, laughing, right? And, and that social class was not an issue. And, and that was like very warm, very awesome to see. So we grew up seeing that as normal, right? And we're like, huh, th this is how it should be, right? Like everybody, you know, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. There's opportunities. And that's the thing, Venezuela in the 60s, 70s, 80s even was a very uh, rich country. Still is, but at the time, like the resources were, were used correctly, right? And I remember the stories of my dad, my mom, where they're like, yeah, we went to Argentina on a student salary and we spent a whole month in a five-star hotel, right? Because the economy was very, very strong. And, you know, we, we lived some of that, like we'd never traveled like that overseas, but inside of the country, there's always every time that you went and, and met somebody, you always met somebody from other parts of the world. And they're like, I just, the story was always I came to my country, to Venezuela, and I fell in love with the people. Like, that was the thing. I fell in love with the people. And then I decided to stay. And everybody was so welcome, especially, you know, the it, we had a big influx of people after World War II. People from Spain, from, from Italy, from Germany, from all Europe fleeing the continent. And Venezuela was kind of like this melting pot right, that people landed because 
the economy was good, opportunities were there, everybody was inclusive, right? So whether you're white, black, yellow, blue, whatever, like people yeah. came together yeah. and that was their foundation, right? And and that was my memory. I was like, oh my God. And that's that's the memory, that, that's the vision that we want uh, from like this incredible, you know, um, generation that left to continue education, to find opportunities overseas. A lot of the conversations that we have is, we want to go back. We want to provide. We want to, you know, recreate that again and growing. But what happened was the big decay was um, obviously government-based indoctrination in places that maybe education was not the best. So they start, you know, feeding different news. And I remember going with with my school to different trips, like kind yeah. of mission trips, very similar to that. And I remember seeing like in these little towns, paintings of the president at the time in the wall and these kids like they're nine ten worshiping that character right and you're like how like the, like this should not be like that right and the information that that was provided to these kids in the public education system was all be, you know indoctrinating them to what was going to happen and then we started seeing things like this and on the business side um when things start to turn black really i remember um, they will do these like broadcast where all the TV channels will be canceled, like the, the transmission, and then the pressing will go on in all the channels. We call it like the, a chain, right? And um, so nobody else could see anything else except if they had a cable or direct TV at the time. But all the free, you know, channels will just broadcast the pressing. And, and I remember him walking into this plaza and all the plaza around was full of businesses. And he's like expropriated, like like they, they were taking over, like take over that business, take over that business, take over that business, right? People that have like, a, 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 you know, a dining room, a restaurant, a jewelry, like private owned businesses. And these guys like, we're taking that over. We're taking that over. And it's not that they were paying these people. They were stealing those businesses from them. And like that small businesses, they took over electricity companies, right? The private electricity company, they took it over. The, you know, internet company, they took it over. Guess what? The oil company, they took it over and they ran it to the ground. So that's that's how bad it became. And then the speech, this is what, what hurts the most. The speech was against the social classes. They created a division, right? They created lower social class, upper class. Upper class is bad. Lower class, you need to fight the upper class because they're taking all, they're taking your resources, right? And then that continuous like bidding of information. We're talking about distribution. We're talking about content. We're talking about all this, right? That yeah. continuous like yeah. repetition and massive distribution capacity that they had caused people to believe that that was bad, even though before we were sitting all together in the same restaurant, all together oh, without wow. the division. So at the core, that's what really hurts because. You can see what the potential is. I remember like playing soccer, right? I will go to these, I don't know if you're familiar with barrios or or the favelas like in Brazil. It's these neighborhoods that illegal, illegally built neighborhoods that are in, in like these mountains, right? And uh, it's, it's just a community that starts growing, right? I don't need people that go to the city and they start building these things. And and I remember playing soccer. I, I ended up playing with a state team that some of the courts of indoor courts that we will play at were inside of these places. They used to call me Blondie. Like for those listening, I, I, I am no blonde, right? And they used to call me Blondie and that's okay. It was, a, it, was, it was on a joking matter. It was not an insult, but we will play there, right? 
And I was probably one of the kids of higher resources playing this team. It was a state team. It was like funded by the government at the time. And it was because it was the, the best team at the time in that area. So I got selected. What an honor. But the social class issue was never an issue in that team for anybody, right? For anybody. And then years later, I remember seeing some of them and they were involved in these organizations that, you know, were fighting like to keep this social fraction, right? This social division. And it's, and, and it's so scary, right? So scary because uh, we've noticed some similarities maybe in the speech and the things that the things are being portrayed today uh, here in the States. And uh, that's one of the reasons that why we moved out. We're like, we just need to go find new opportunities in a place where there's freedom. We Freedom of speech. Everybody can have their own voice, right? And even though we do not agree sometimes, there's mutual respect. And I understand where you're coming from, right? Or some, some, something like that. And maybe today, I don't know if that's the United States that, that we know today. For me, it is. Like the environment that I live in, yes, is a very supportive, right? And again, we get to choose our environments, which is very powerful. But at the time, back then, we went from choosing our environment to not having a choice, which is really scary. Yeah, 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 no, for certain. Um, it's a lot in that story. So much joy, pain. I know. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, 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 do not, uh, we do not get to talk about this too often. And uh, yeah. it needs to come important. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's very important, you know. Um, because if you look at it at the basis of it, exactly what you do now is what has been done. You know what I'm saying? And that's the point about, you know, to some degree, y'all podcast is the point of this podcast because him coming on the TV, um, you know, that's a message. It's content. Um, you know, okay. his there, speech is a, a manifesto. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, a, there's an episode. Uh, that it was very painful for a lot of Venezuelans. There was a there was a TV channel, number two channel, right? Um, it's like let's say ABC over here, right? It, it was a big network. Mm-hmm. Um, in Spanish, it's called RCTV, right? Radio Caracas Television. That was the name of, of the network. It's been it, it was out there since inception. It was privately owned. They were the only network that was that was confronting the government at the time. That they were not giving. To the information that they were saying that they were not they were like they were diving into the things that they were doing and exposing them right and telling the truth right and 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 again if you consider that the truth or not the truth it doesn't matter freedom of speech right um well guess what the government came in and they canceled all the concessions and they could not go on air anymore they closed out the company thousands of people lost their jobs because the government came in and they were like, we want to control the message. You guys are against us or, you know, and so we're going to close you. That's not freedom. Man. And, and that was like so sad because I remember it was like during the night, everybody was watching because they announced it like the, after tonight, we are not legally able to broadcast anymore. Not even in, during cable, not even during satellite TV, nothing because the government controls that. Right. So they, they, blocked out the freedom of speech and that was a very key moment in the, the country because a lot of people realized exactly what was happening and yeah. uh and then they started buying all their tv channels that gave concessions because they were like we don't want to go out of business so you know we'll sell to the government and and so on and unless you know <laughs> we could talk about this for weeks but that was a very key moment especially if we bring it back to content 
it's all about the distribution, right? Even countries do that. So like whoever controls that information, whoever controls that distribution channel, there's consequences, right? So if we're publishing for everybody that's listening or watching, you have a responsibility with your audience. You have a responsibility with the people that follow you. You have a responsibility with the people that consume your content to make sure that you're acting in the best possible way to show them the path to whatever solution you're providing, right? Um, so I think there's that's a that's another key moment that it's like really sad to watch. And I remember sitting, my mom was crying, I was crying. We we're like, what's happening, right? And it was like that realization that it's like this is going downhill quick. So yeah. how do we yeah. fight this? We gotta get our voice back. We gotta we gotta create these channels. And and you go back now and you see there's a, a whole distribution of people that were working in those networks, people that were really active. Uh, at the time in, in traditional media now are in, in social media, in podcasting, in show production. They're all overseas, but they're still producing to contrast what's happening in the country, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, so super important, super deep stuff. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. did not think we were going to be talking yeah. about this, but it's yeah. all good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it all, you know, it, it all comes down. It, it's, it's very important for a marketing podcast. I mean, you, you ask... You know, it's funny because this is the stuff that Americans pretend they're going through. But, you know, if you ask, how do you survive the cancel? You know, it all comes down to some of the things you're discussing here. You know, the content and the distribution, you know, the message and the system to get it out. It's all important stuff. And so that being said, man, I do want to even further down, not shout on some details revolved around this, because it's like, you know, your father had told you when you were young. Or he told Fonzie, no matter what it is you do, even if you're going to be a shoe shot, be the best dad in the world. Your mother was a professor. You know, she taught at the university or she worked at the university for 40 years. She practiced Tai Chi. You know, from these tiny little details, you can tell within your family unit, there's a lot of stability. And the thing about wealth and, and, and things like that, it's very arbitrary. To someone that's working a nine to five, someone making 70, 80 grand is very, very wealthy. To someone like you that's, you know, in business, it's not a lot. And so for a lot of people that had less than you, you probably were a target, right? They probably thought of you as like, oh, he's super wealthy. He's everything I could ever imagine. Did you feel that sentiment from people around you at, at any point in time? Man, the, I just got chills when you were asking the question because... Yeah, I, I, I mean, in the country itself, I felt like a target many times. And uh, I'm going to walk through a couple of experiences that we had there. And then when I came to the States, a conversation that was really meaningful to me, even before I started my business, like with, with, uh, with a life coach that was a member of a studio that I was running. But, um, you know, my, 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 my mother, like she's still in that university. Like she was second class graduating class from that university. It is a private university. Right. And, um, and that university has hosted a lot of songs from CEOs, from people that in the business environment, right. People that have resources back home. Um, and when I got the chance to get, by the way, I got a scholarship in that college, right? Uh, otherwise, I would not be able to go to any other private school, right? Like, and that, that was part of it. Um, but I was associated with that class, right? That, which was the upper class, right? And I'll give you a little perspective. Like some kids had these massive SUVs, right? And I hate going to the material stuff, but 
people that had resources, they were able to buy these SUVs that were not accessible for most. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, I had these little Fiat, 94, 1994 Fiat that, that was beat up. There's no hubcaps. You know, the, the, the windshield was broken. There was a, I crashed on one side. So I was like, I'm not going to fix it, right? And the reason I was like, I'm not going to fix it is because when I'm driving out there, I don't want to be identified by somebody that has maybe resources or goes to this college, right? Because guess what? Because of the social division, because of that indoctrination, people starting associating, hey, this kid has money. Let's go kidnap him. Let's go grab him, right? Let's yeah. go Let's go ask for money. Let, and, and then violence starts, which is one of the issues of a lot of third world countries, right? Well, sadly, in, in big cities like this. So- yeah, that was what that was one of them. I had a lot of friends that were targeted, you know, coming back home yeah, from yeah. whatever celebrations, parties, going out, r- regular life stuff that you know here in the city we might go out, we feel safe at night. Over there, yeah. it, it depends on the city, right? It depends on the person that I'm talking to. Uh, but at the same time, like in most places, we feel safe. Where I live, I feel very safe when I go outside. My wife is from Canada. She never locks her doors. She leaves her keys in her car. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I go back and I grab the keys and I lock the car. I'm like, you have to lock your car, right? That's the perspective, right? Back home, oh, we're always watching behind us. We're always like checking that everything is locked, right? We're locking the houses. Like the houses, we have the front the, the front walls and there's electricity at the top so people don't climb over it. That, that's the, oh, the level wow. of paranoia that people used to live. And again, I haven't been there in about eight years, mm-hmm. but I... Today is worse than ever with everything that's happening in the world, right? Um, you can't find food. But at the time, yes, felt like a target, right? Um, obviously, we moved in our circles of, of people that we knew at the time. So maybe at that time, and at the time, I wasn't publishing. So I, I wasn't, you know, giving that fear. Social media wasn't as big as it is today. Everybody here tells you, hey, document your journey. Document what's happening. We show a lot of the behind the scenes. We show a lot of our lives today. So what happened was, when I, I was already here in the States, graduated, get my job, I'm running a fitness studio. And at the time, there was a project that I called uh, Mass Life, right? And it was about positive things, and that's probably going to be coming back. Um, and it started as a blog that never grew, never like we never did much of it with, with it later. But we, we were able to do some live events, and it was all about positive thinking and, and just have fun and, you know, networking kind of deal. And this was like college project kind of stuff. Um, and I remember being in this morning, it was like a 5 a.m. workout. I wasn't working out. I was checking people in and this new lady comes in and we start talking and, and her name is Mary. And, and Mary is like, hey, you have like a really cool energy, nice energy. And I'm like, this is weird. Like this is a, like a first time somebody mentions my energy in this studio. We had about a thousand members. Right. And we're like, huh, this lady is special. And again, I, I, I say special because my mom does Tai Chi and all that. And she believes in energy and I believe in energy. Right? I'm like, huh. This is pretty interesting. So after her class, we start talking and she's like, just start asking me questions about where I'm from, what I do. And I tell her about this project, the Mass Life Project, right? And she's like, oh my God, I, I love it. And, she, and, and I found out that she's a, she's a life coach for massive, big CEOs around the area, right? So she's around a, a very, not only wealthy in, in, in money, but wealthy in mind as well. Like people that are developing themselves, that are growing every single day, right? Very successful people. And she goes like, I love this. Why don't you, like, why don't you share more of that, right? And I'm like, man, my fear, 
And told my fear is that when I share these stories, when I share what's happening, when I when I share that I'm really happy doing what I'm doing, that you know I'm okay with my relationship, that I'm okay working out, that that you know I live in a place that's safe. I'm very scared that people back home, because my network at the time was mostly people from back home from Venezuela, right? See this and hate me for it, Mm, right? And then. This is what she said that was so powerful. She's like, what if you continue to post this or share your experiences and all this that you're doing? And then that's inspiration for some of them that they see that they're like, I want to go there. I want to do something like that. I want to create a change in my environment. I want to take action so I can able, so I'm able to do that. And that little conversation, you know, she smiled and then she's like, you know, she turned around. She's like, I hope I got to go, but I hope you, you, you do that. Right. And she left. Right. And I saw her maybe a couple more times and then she moved to the city and what a profound experience that was yeah. because, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but then later when I started actually publishing years later, right. Because that fear was there for years. Now we're like, we go back and we're like, huh. Wow. And we've seen it. We've seen it with people that come into our programs. We've seen it with people that connect with us, with people that interview us on their shows. They're like, man, you said this and that, and that inspired me to take action and to do this. Oh, what a great feeling, right? Yeah. And, and we have people still from back home that, you know, if they don't want to consume, they don't consume. But the people that really want to, that want to learn more, they're there. They're consuming. We've connected with people all over the world because of it. We created an impact, right? And, and more is to come. And we're so excited. So, you know, I, I, I think that's a, that was the moment that I flipped from fear to believing, right? To be like, okay, wow. this is it, right? And and I think that was a very powerful moment in my life. Man, that's extraordinarily powerful. Extraordinarily. There's 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 been a lot that's happened, but there's been a lot of beauty as well. If you go backwards, you know what I'm saying? Um, can you describe some of your earliest victories or at least a moment that everybody went crazy when you when you were playing soccer you know is there a moment where it was like you know Russell runs talks like okay this is the moment I became a wrestler when I won this match and I was like okay I love this sport it's the first time you get love and validation from it can you recall that moment for yourself yeah oh yes this is good um so when I was right before I moved to Italy to play um I got I got selected by this local team in my like the so the way that teams are divided back home is you have your national tournament. So like, let's say your MLS clubs, right? And under those MLS clubs, you have the younger categories, right? You play nationally. And then you have regional areas, right? It's not like club soccer here. I don't know how familiar are you with the, with the sport here in the States, but it, it's, you, you play like a, at a state level. So you play all for Florida stuff. And then inside of those counties, you play. So for example, in, in my county, which is Duval County here in Jacksonville, right? Like you will have like 20 teams that will play that a league there, right? So then you move up categories. So I was playing in one of those state categories, and then this call, this this team calls me from a smaller league, and they're like, "Hey, they saw me practicing on my own with my dad a Saturday, right?" And the coach approached my dad, and he's like, "Hey, I really like what you guys do here every day. I I, I see that Luisa is working really hard. Uh, I want to provide you guys with an opportunity, and I want to invite you guys to a tournament in Italy." In, in in Easter. This was about December. So we're like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. That was my first like experience. I'm like, I'm gonna go overseas, right? 
never visited Europe, never visited. Like, it was crazy, right? I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is it. Like, this is my chance. It's a showcase. Um, so I go and I play with them through December to warm up with the team. And then we had to pay tickets to go to, to, to go to this tournament. But there was no money to pay the tickets, right? We we're like, my dad is like, okay, well, here's opportunity. How are we going to make it happen, right? And then we start looking for solutions. And uh, kids with jobs that is really rare. Uh, it's, it's not a thing. Um, yeah. You get your job when in college. Um, so I'm like, okay, how, what are ways to, to, to get paid for something, right? And uh, the coach worked a deal with a recycling plant. And what the deal, what the deal was, was we had to take cans and paper and, and different things to, to them uh, and they would pay us back. Well, the entire trip <laughs> was paid out of recycling, recycling paper and cans that I will collect from my school and then I will go to my mom's college and just legit just go to like every department. It's like, hey, do you have extra paper that you need? And we started like doing these routes and every week we will like fill up my mom's car and just drop it off of the field where they will exchange it for credits. Those credits were money so we can go out, right? So the entire ticket was paid with recycling wow. items. And, and that was the first victory, right? So then we go to the tournament and, uh, and we're there and man, it's intimidating. We're playing teams from Poland, from Italy, from like all over, right? We're the, we're the little kids from Venezuela, right? And, it, and we're the underdogs and so on. And we played and we get to the semifinals. And uh, this is probably the biggest game I've played ever. We played in a, in a big stadium. We had about, you know, there was the, the stands, all the people are watching, 6,000 people in there. For us, that was like a massive crowd, right? And it gets to a moment where, you know, um, there was a situation on the field. I, I was a forward. So these defenders kept talking in Italian. I couldn't understand anything. They keep pulling my shirt, right? <laughs> and, they're, and they're making jokes and they're, you know, laughing. And I'm like feeling heated, right? And they're, they're getting in my head. And I'm like, man, no, I, this cannot happen. I cannot get in their heads. And the game was like tied 1-1. And, and, and then we score. And it was like, okay, we're winning 2-1. And we're like... And they keep messing with me. And then I'm like, man, I'm getting angry. I like, all I wanted to, all I was thinking was like, I, when the ball comes, I'm just going to go on slide and just tackle these dude. And I, I don't care what happened, like the consequences. But then my, my little angel was like, no, dude, like, calm down. You're going to miss the final, right? Like, if you guys win, you're going to miss the final. So there's this corner on the opposite side of the field. And this guy comes. And I'm like, by the way, I don't recommend anybody do this. But to me, in my head, what I'm going to do is like, I'm going to mess with this guy because he's been hitting me. The ref is not watching. Like he hasn't watched any, like, any of this. Yeah. And as yeah. soon as he comes and he pulls my, my shirt, I just fall. And I grab my face and I start like spinning in the ground and I'm screaming, right? <laughs> and the ref turns around and he comes and the whole team, like there's this b battle in the field. I'm just grabbing my face. And, uh, and I'm like, he hit me, right? He hit me. Like that's all I keep saying, you know, because he's been hitting me the entire game. And, uh, and then the ref comes and, and, you know, they lift me up. The defender, the, the other coach is like, hey, ask the guy. It's like, hey, did you hit him? And the guy was like, yes. Like, throughout the, the game, not now, right? But I, I did. And the ref immediately, right car, you know, send them off the, the pitch. They they stayed yeah. with like one less player. And then and then the, the game was over, like two minutes after that. And we won, right? Wow. And it was like this crazy like moment that we like first, it was my first personal final in an international tournament wow. where all the scouts were going to be there to watch us play and, and select us to go play professionally. And what happened was we played the final. We did not win, unfortunately, but I did get an offer to go play in Italy next year and continue my dream. For that that moment there, that that semifinal that we won, 
meant everything. Like every the, the entire, you know, yeah, group yeah. of people of the different categories came onto the field and it was so, so cool. And I was like, that was one of the days I was like, that's the day that this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Things change down the road. But at that moment, it's like, this is heaven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, that's amazing, man. For people who don't play sports, they don't understand, <laughs> man. Sometimes it's the most important thing in the world, especially when you're young, even past the point of being young, even when you go into to do other things, the level of energy and excitement that brings is hardly ever compared to in life. Like, man, even that first victory, you could go on to probably win a World Cup. It probably wouldn't be just like that first time. Like, yeah, that's that's amazing. That's super powerful. It, it, I, think, I, I think those moments are super powerful too to always revisit. And thank you for asking that question because it's been a while since I relived that. And yeah. it's important to go back and, and refeel that because then it's like, sweet, today with the things that I'm doing, how can I feel that way? Right. And then we can reframe and, and readjust and go there. Right. So we can create our own yeah. future. So, so how can we replicate that feeling? And yeah, uh, it's yeah. so exciting. Yeah, man. It's, 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 it's beyond exciting. So, you know, you've moved on from where you used to be in life and you're living in Florida. You know, I think your brother had went to Texas, you know, you reunited in Florida. Um, you, you know, from an ad from ClickFunnels, y'all, you know, really dive into the business world, yeah. um, go through a myriad of business, a t-shirt screening business. <laughs> Um, in the hot summer sun, <laughs> crazy a uh, sticker business, ebook library. I don't know what that is, but it sounds uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. What, what is the ebook library? In theory, that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was a great idea. Uh, we used, we called it Be Wealthy, and uh, because the domain B E Wealthy was not available, we got B double E. And then the logo was a bee, like an animal, like the bee, right? Yeah. And uh, we're yeah. like, oh, this is so cool. We got it, right? And then the idea was to collect information, which is very similar to what we're doing now with the podcast from incredible entrepreneurs at the time. So we're going to create, you know, these different guides of each, inter- of each entrepreneur with those, those taking a lot of research and a lot of capacity at the time. Uh, we, we just didn't stick to it, right? Funny story. Then later we got to sell the domain <laughs> for a couple yeah, bucks, yeah. for a couple hundred bucks, and and that helped you know move something else. But uh, but yeah, that was that was a cool that was a cool one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's crazy. You one know, of those, uh, you look back at some yeah, yeah, some of the business things that you'll do in the onset of things. It's like you'll look back on them. It's like what what was that even? <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot has happened and, and you, you've risen to, to heights that most people born in this country will never see. Most people born with everything will never see. At this stage in life, you have a lot working for you, you know, you have a lot than me. I was born here and I don't have even a tenth of what you have and what you have going on. You know, how much of the nostalgia, how heavy is the nostalgia nowadays, though? Because, you know, I moved right here from Maryland and every night, man memories and the people and everything it lives with you how, how deep is the nostalgia nowadays um that's another good question i, I think this is the first time i get asked that, that. um it, it can get intense like um you know part of uh, what drives us is that i think too we 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 learn to use it as a as fuel because part of the objective is to build something that matters 
yeah. because of everything that we've lived and we want to provide those opportunities right away. There's a passion project that we really want to get started at is, uh, is the Hispanic side of publishing because um, there's a lot of people that we need to reach, right? And, and we will be honored to reach um, and, and hopefully make them see and help them see the next steps to, to create their own reality, right? Because countries in South America are tied down and I, and I don't want to generalize, but I have family in Peru. I have family. My, my sister's in Peru. My brother is in, in Colombia right now. That They're living kind of a, a crazy similar hell that, that Venezuela, right? My parents are still in Venezuela. Um, I, I, we have employees in Argentina. We have employees in Chile. We have employees in Venezuela. So we live it every single day. So so we, we change perspective and we use it as fuel to, you know, continue because sometimes things are not so bright, right? We, we just went through the last few months through a reinvention uh, process. Publishing continued, continued, right? The priorities continue. We had to readjust a couple of things because as we grow, we're going to find those ceilings and then we, there's going to be new challenges, right? So that's what keeps us going. You know, I, I personally talk to my parents almost every single day. Um, yeah. I have a yeah. son. He's, a two, he's two years old. I want them to be with him. Right. And just recently, two weeks ago, my, my first dog passed away very unexpectedly. Right. And, and yeah, that's that. And, and he was my dog here. Right. And mm-hmm. I remember like there was this empty feeling. It was, it was so weird. It's the first time like I experienced something like that. And then, you know, my wife had a travel schedule and then it was just me and my, and my son. And then, you know, Fonzie, when he, when he's here at the studio, but then he goes to bed and it's like, man, ha, huh, this is, this is interesting. Like what I'm, what I'm living. Like I wish right now I would have my my family, my people with me, right? And you know, even though we have friends and and acquaintances and people that we connect with every single day, you know, we Hispanic and I don't know if other nationalities relate to this, but we're very close, right? Like we're like, people don't leave their houses when they're eighteen. They stay in their houses till like they're thirty and married, right? Like it's like yeah. <laughs> we're there for for a long time, and that's how we got raised. And everybody will eat dinners together and. So, so yes, at the same time, I've been out of my house for a long time. I left home when I was 15 to play, right? And then I was on and off, right? And then at 18, I left again. And then I came here to the States at 20, 20 years old, 11 years ago. So, um, you know, I, I kind of got used to the, 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 the way of living. But at the same time, those moments where they're like, I mean, we're emotionally down, which happens. You're like, huh, phew it's uh we missed this right like what i i will give everything to have that environment next to me close to me where like you know we see my dad or my mom with with my kid and you were just sharing a dinner right like those small moments and we've been fortunate enough to at least bring them at least once a year to to spend time with us but it's really hard every time they they go and and yeah as far as like the country um you know we share good memories yes absolutely um i think that part I don't miss much mm-hmm. because of the entire process that I lived since I was 10 over there, right? Like in 1999, that's when everything started. So my, my uprising was very, um, there was, there was a lot of uh, turbulence, right? From outside noise, like politics. And, you know, we were 15 and we were talking politics, like what? Right. Yeah. And, and we were going to these places and seeing the, 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 the impact that that had in, in other communities. And that was really challenging, right? So I don't wish that on anybody. I was very lucky that I was able to see it too because it brings a lot of perspective to where like we live in a wonderful world, wonderful, especially country that has opportunities, right? That we can make that happen. 
But at the same time, I don't, I don't miss that part. I, I think I'm looking forward more to the creation of new opportunities and see how I can bring it back. So nostalgic side of things, family attached, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the countryside itself, no, because it was my choice to come here. It's not that they grabbed me and they put me in this country. It was my choice to, to come and, and, and continue to grow over here. Right. Yeah, man, I feel that. Man, uh, so our time's coming to an end, but I do have a final question. I mean, I wish you could go on forever, but you go on forever with me, you will be going on forever. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, so, you know. marathon. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, you know, everybody, you know, if you're listening to him, if you want to know more about, you know, his, his, his you know, the business he's built and everything, because it is, it is just type in magic is life, I think. Um, it's a YouTube channel that's interviewed him. He talks extensively. He, he's come over here, you know, built uh, originally a social media marketing business. Um, he's helped a lot of people, you know, starting with a, a Mexican restaurant um, and has since refined and refined even smaller into a business that really helps people get frictionless sales through content. Um, that is what he's utilized these skills for. But at the base of it all, these skills are, are, are it's about influencing people. You know, influencing people uh, into new schools of thought, which allows purchases to happen. And so, you know, with that foundation set in, in identifying this as influence, you know, you were a kid that, you know, you had a special opportunity, a special, special, you know, genetic preset as an entrepreneur, you know, from marking up jerseys and going to school and all the entrepreneurial ventures that you had. You had the skill set of soccer, you know, that took you you know, to college and out of your country and getting scholarships. And, you know, I know you did uh, uh, go on to get injured, but you had all these circumstances that, that were able to whisk you out of this country. But if you go back before any of this happened, if you go back to the beginning, um, but with the skill set that you have now, this is a hypothetical situation because obviously there's nothing that you or probably anyone could have done because of the power dynamic. But if you can go back to the beginning with your skills that you know now and persuasion, because that's what this podcast is all about. How do you survive the cancer? What messaging, what distribution do you have to employ? How do you take what was happening in your country and survive the cancer? What, what, what strategies in terms of marketing, in terms of content has to be employed in a situation like this to reverse the fortune of the people who are experiencing it? Yeah, absolutely. It's create your own distribution channels, right? Like that's, that's what changed everything in, in, that, in that aspect now that we look at it with our eyes of messaging and content, that's what that's what happened. They were controlling the message, right? And uh, you look back at history of the world and uh, all these, you know, whatever you want to call it, empire, socialism, capital, like, you know, uh, communism, they want to control the, the information that flows. And what where are the distribution channels, right? So on the political sense, that's what probably would have happened, which is happening now all around the world. Like everybody has their own platforms and, you know, people, companies are migrating. They don't, they don't have social media marketing agents. They, they build their own media companies inside of their own company, right? Because they want, they need to control their message and they need to control the people that they talk to. So what happening, what was happening back there is like they got it right because the entire country, they looked at it as a company. So we're like, okay, where are the points, the inflection points that we need to control to be able to, remove the friction of the people believing in our ideals, right? And that was applied in a very negative sense 
because you brought a lot of poverty, you brought XYZ, like hyperinflation, you brought a lot of families being divided. How do you contrast that? You create more attention than that. Um, so that that's a that's a that's not an easy feat, right? But uh, but you hear Grant Cardone, that's one of them, right? Like that, that that he's like, whoever wins is the loudest. That's it. Like whoever wins is the loudest. So taking this back, then uh, that's probably what it is. We gotta control the message, and we gotta we gotta make sure that we are distributing. Like we just the conversation we just had three hours ago in our in our show was all about that distribution side of things, where it's like is probably more important than the content itself right uh, and and to bring it back into perspective for us we have three uh, we have our show which is three times a week and the show's priority is to connect with entrepreneurs and with people in our industry and build relationships that's number one after that right people are like how many how many people listen to your show I'm like honestly i haven't looked at that data in months because what we're creating is a ton of points of contact across multiple distribution channels so I can reach more people. So more people see multiple times a day my micro content and then they're exposed to it and then they start consuming. And maybe maybe we publish something one day that impacts somebody on that day because they're in the right mindset to consume. But then the next day they see it and maybe they don't consume and that's okay. But maybe the third day they see it and then they go to the show and they listen to the show because that's something that sparked something in their head. So we're doing our best to control and multiply our message as many times as possible because we believe in what we do. We believe so much in what we do that we can help people achieve results and find their voice and build their systems, right? That I am committed to be as loud as I can possibly can, right? So we, we have this term called the publishing pyramid. And, um, you know, we got to understand our resources, our capacities, like who resources as in money, team, is in my own, right? Um, capacity of execution. Can I execute every single day? Can I execute three times a week, right? We're not, like, we're never going to reach too much. That's the thing. We're never going to reach too much. Uh, but we got to understand that to be able to build a system so we can control our channels and make sure that our message is consistent with what we do as a company, what's our value, what are our objectives, what are our goals, right? And, um, you know, if you bring it back to the political sense, this is exactly what's what's happening. They, they're controlling their message. They're controlling the distribution channels. They're controlling the way consume, people consume their content. Hence, they can turn a nation like 180 because that's exactly what happened. So if we apply those principles that were used to create a lot of bad negative things into our businesses that we are geared and we're like, we want to create impact. We want to help people. Imagine the impact that anybody can do, that anybody can have, you know, you with this show, you're now impacting people that are listening to this and they're having their own epiphanies. They're having their own translations to what we're having a conversation. And then they're going to turn around and they're going to apply it to their daily life, to their work life, and they're going to get positive results. And then the world is going to get better. So why don't we all make an effort and start controlling our distribution channels, building the systems so we can share. If you are truly committed to your message, that's what it takes. We cannot be afraid like I was when I, I spoke with Mary. We cannot be afraid to share the message. And again, I, I, I'm not, we cracked the code on, on the systems. I haven't cracked the code on the message. There's stories that still are a little bit of painful to, to, to share, right? That, that, are, that I'm scared to share, 
that uh and and the beautiful thing is like today we live in a country where we can actually share those stories so now those are internal things that we got to work on individually to be able to do it but if we're committed we had to work on it and that's exactly what we're doing we're working towards that so hopefully hopefully that answers <laughs> the, the yeah, question that was a beautiful <laughs> answer man i know all these you know, everything you experience you know lives with you lifelong you know especially something like a kidnapping you know I've been held at gunpoint. I've never been kidnapped. And even that is something every now and then you in the car, you got to look through the mirrors. What is he doing on the sidewalk? So these things happen then to you and people around you probably are a tough experience. It's, 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 it's incredible that you come on the show and, and, and share this message. I do want to say, you know, to everyone listening, because I say this multiple times a day, I don't, I don't want to be like the people on the social or on the television. Don't take what I'm saying religiously. You know, there's no agenda to be pushed. Don't take what I'm saying religiously or dogmatically, you know, have wonder about the world, fascination about the world and experience things on your own. You know, I hope to go to Venezuela one day because, I, you know, you know, from what you say, it's a beautiful place. You yes. know, I hope to go over South America and all over the world. And I'm sure, you know, you wish to do a lot of the same. So also I said, you know, if you want to check out his business adventure, go to Magic is Life. Uh, but that doesn't even make sense. You go to content is profit, his actual podcast. <laughs> But uh, without further ado, man, is there something else you want to add? Ah, uh, man, uh, thank you. I, I want to thank you for providing the, you, the platform and the, the questions for a great conversation. It's been a while since we, we've talked like this. It's funny the dynamic between uh, hosting your own show and then being a guest. And, and I think that's the beautiful thing about coming to other platforms whoever's listening to like get in the habit of it like the first interviews that we did that people wanted to to talk about our stories the first couple were like super business driven like because we we're like the message is there but people really want to know a little bit more about us about who's behind that sure. mind right and, and the experiences and the stories and and i think um you did a great job at, at asking the, you, the right questions and getting the information out things i haven't shared in in so long so i appreciate you and uh to you the listener if you found something useful today, grab it and, and take action. Go and move and, and run like the wind so, so you can get that momentum and continue to create those awesome experiences. Yeah, without a doubt. So if you want to know, learn the tactics and strategies and the principles behind what shapes nations and generations at large, like Steve Jobs said, the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. Go to their business. Go to conference, you know, contentisprofit.com. Go to their podcast and learn about this stuff because it has insane power that, you know, we can hardly understand all the uh, links to, you know, everything, their social media, biz bros, uh, co, uh, their website, their podcast, it'll all be in the description below. Maybe some other interviews from YouTube as well, because there's also helpful resources, man. I appreciate you being on the show. It, it means a lot. And I think it's going to change a lot of lives for sure. Thank you, man. And continue to publish, brother. Continue to, to get the message out there, ask the right questions, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. You're going to help a ton of people. You're already helping a ton of people. So I appreciate you. Thank you, man.